As we all know, a Republic Day chief guest, the ceremonial chief guest this year is Egypt's President Abdul Fattah al-Sisi. He is a field marshal, the highest rank in Egyptian armed forces, but elected president more than once now. Although elections in elections in Egypt are like 97%, 99%, 99% majority, 99.99 also percent majority for the guy who's winning. So he's the president of Egypt. He's come as our chief guest. And there are multiple ironies to his visit. There are at least three of them. So I will list three of them. One has to do with the date on which he's come to Delhi. The other, the next one, number two, is to do with the place he's come to, which is New Delhi. And number three is to do with his politics. His politics and what makes him so important for his country, for the rest of the world, and for India. So these three ironies are what we talk about to begin with. So first of all, 25th January, whose visit formally begins today. Now, nobody chose this date for him. He hasn't chosen this date. This, this just happens to be the eve of our Republic Day. 25th January is exactly the anniversary of the Tehrir Square protests in Cairo in 2011. So, 30, so 12 years ago, on this day, Tehrir Square protests started in Cairo. Those protests, those protests fired the imagination of the entire Arab world, a lot of the other Islamic world, which had dictatorships. Many other people, even liberal communities all over the world thought that this was it. A democratic impulse was speaking out. And then in the course of time, it went quite wrong everywhere, did not survive anywhere. Maybe, maybe in Algeria, it flickered for longer, but generally it collapsed and people went back to how things were earlier, to the dictatorial arrangements earlier, or they got worse. In the case of Egypt also, it did not pay, play out fundamentally differently, but the way things are, and that's the reason I call it an irony, the way things look in Egypt looks like the arrangement they have right now is better, saner, more stable, also has people happier than was the case after Tahrir Square. So, First irony, the date, Tahrir Square anniversary, and he is our chief guest on our Republic Day. The second, why did I say the place he is visiting also is an irony, because New Delhi. Now, I live in New Delhi, New Delhi generally in the Hoskas area. I can walk, I can walk to the part of the outer ring road, which passes by our locality, and that part of the outer ring road is named after Nasir. So, this is Jamal Abdul Nasir Mark. Of course, our outer ring road in Delhi is like a revolutionary highway of India. It, part of it is Ho Chi Minh uh, Avenue. Part of it is also part of it also then leads on to Joseph Rose Tito Mark. So you have Nasir, Ho Chi Minh, Tito, all connected. But the fact is, the fact is, you can go around the world, barring a couple of countries in Africa. It's very difficult to find any landmark named after Nasir, because Nasir, as we know, Nasir, as we know, got sort of repudiated even in his own country, particularly after him as his successor Sadat. He kept control over the power in the same way that Nasser did, in the same militaristic way, but he swung Egypt away from non-alignment to a kind of alignment with the Americans or from being a pro-Soviet non-aligned nation to becoming a pro-American non-aligned nation. And after that, after that, Egypt has gone through much other change. Once again, you have in power 
somebody in Egypt who actually, if you look at all the experts on Egypt and my colleague Jyoti Malhotra, who's just done a discussion for her debate series, the print debate series on CC's visit. She, 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 she checked out with her Egyptian guest on the debate. CC actually is an admirer of Nasser's, admirer of Nasser's in, I suppose, in every other way, except in being left of center or being more aligned to the anti-American side, etc., etc. Sisi actually is very popular with the Americans. He is the first Egyptian president in a long time, in a long time after Hosni Mubarak, the first Egyptian president to visit America not once but twice. And on his second visit, Donald Trump, Donald Trump being Donald Trump, even described him as, quote-unquote, my favorite dictator. So that is Sisi. Once again, I don't think he can go to any major capital in the world or many any major city in the world. There there will be an avenue, a street, a landmark named after Jamal Abdel Nasser, who he who he obviously idolizes. He's also a leader in the image of Nasser, a military leader who now has total power. A military leader who now has total power, driven by whose popularity is driven by. Egyptian nationalism and not Islam, not fundamentalist Islam. So like Nasser and like all the successors of Nasser, that is Sadat, Husni Mubarak, he also is opposed to Muslim Brotherhood and extreme, extreme forms of Islam and also political Islam. So he is tamping down on political Islam as much as those three other leaders had done. In the middle, Morsi came in for about a year, Mohammed Morsi. He was Egypt's first genuinely elected leader, civilian, non-military. All the others were military, non-military leader. But that only lasted about a year. That was the government of Muslim Brotherhood and all kinds of awful things happened after that. In fact, he was within the first year of his government when massive protests broke out. That was the kind of, if Tahrir Square was revolution, this was a kind of counter-revolution very quickly. So again, lots and lots of people came out and what were they protesting most of all? They were protesting Islamization of the state. So ultimately, the military, military power is back in control in Egypt. CC represents it. So one of the basic methods these military rulers have used in Egypt is to put the political Islam back in the can and then seal that can. So CC has done precisely that. Now third irony, I told you three ironies. I told you the date, Tahrir Square anniversary. I told you the place, New Delhi, which is a rare big city in the world, probably the only capital barring one odd country in Africa, small country in Africa, which has a major landmark named after Nasser and third is the reason, reason why CC is so valued by international community and ultimately also by India. That's because CC represents what is Egypt's deep state. Now, when we say deep state in India, we usually talk of Pakistan. So what is Pakistan's deep state? Pakistan's deep state is its army and its intelligence agencies and its foreign service bureaucracy, etc., who control everything, but basically the army controls everything. In Egypt also, similarly, a deep state has existed right from 1952, when the monarch, then King Farouk, was thrown out by a group of military officers who were called free officers. They were disgruntled. They made an organization, informal organization, grouping of their own called free officers. Nasser was a member of that, a leading member of that. 
Mohammed Nagib, who became the first leader of Egypt after monarchy was thrown out, was, was also a member of that. He was later unseated by Nasser within a year of taking power and locked up in his home in house arrest, where he remained for 18 years. So the fact is, Nasser then got the support of the Egyptian armed forces and he ruled till 1970 when he died. In fact, he continued ruling after his disastrous war on Israel in 1967, the six-day war that he lost very badly. In spite of that, he continued in power because the deep state is very difficult to dislodge. In 1970, he died on the record because of a heart attack, but there are many conspiracy theories as to why it might have happened. And once again, he was succeeded, succeeded by more Fauji's, that is Sadat and Hosni Mubarak. So, in between, you had Morsi. Now, Egypt is back to a general, in this case, a field marshal, who controls a lot of the free speech, who controls all the Islamist organizations where the state of civil liberty is very, very poor, but he keeps the country stable. He's allowing the private sector to grow. He's made his policies pro-Western and anti-Islamic jihad. He's very opposed to Islamic extremism. In fact, he not long ago delivered a very significant speech at Al-Azhar University in Cairo, which is like, which is like the home of a lot of Sunni Islamic thought and thinking and theology and philosophy. And he spoke strongly against Islamic extremism. So for all of these reasons, for all of these reasons, which also include the fact that he got rid of, a, of an elected government, a government that got elected because of democratization, which came as a result of Tahrir Square, but which put the Muslim Brotherhood in power. Now, nobody in the world, nobody, nobody in the world wants to see Muslim Brotherhood in power. Now, Qatar may want it. Turkey may want it, but they don't want it in power in their countries. Qatar and Turkey, Erdogan, they may want Muslim Brotherhood in power or Muslim Brotherhood at least having nuisance value in some other countries for their own reasons. But in their own countries, they don't want anything like this. Egypt is among the largest Muslim countries in the world. It has a population of 10 crores. If the Arab population is between 30 and 40 crores in the world, about roughly about one third of that is in Egypt, or maybe a little less than one third of that is in Egypt. It's a very big country. If you look at Muslim populations around the world, there's Indonesia, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and then Egypt will be somewhere there. So to keep, to keep militant Islam under control in Egypt is very important for the rest of the world, for the Western world, and also for India. And that's why when you see the initial joint statements, etc. When CC spoke, our Prime Minister, a lot of the talk is about cooperation in counter-terrorism, in security, defense, things like that. So for India and Egypt, it's also a rediscovery of an old friendship, of a long-lost old friendship, and making up for lost time. But more importantly, the third irony is that the very reason CC is popular all over the world and at this point even in his country is because he because he set the clock back on democratization post Tahrir Square and restored Egypt to the earlier normalcy of a kind of military rule, not very benign, but a military rule. So in Nasser's times it was pro-Soviet, pro-left, post-Nasser, it's been pro-American. 
pro-West. And that's where Sisi has restored Egypt now and everybody is relieved as a result of that. Now, what exactly is the Egyptian deep state? Egyptian deep state is not at all very different from the Pakistani deep state, with one exception. The Pakistani deep state, one, has a single enemy, that's India. Egyptian deep state does not have a single enemy. They had one in Israel. But that, that they got rid of once they signed, once they signed the Camp David Accords, which Anbar Sadat signed, recognized Israel, became the first Arab nation to recognize Israel, was, was blackballed, criticized all over the Arab world, all over most of the Islamic world. People saying that, look, you settled with Israel without resolving two of the most important issues. And those most important issues are the issue of Palestine and also the issue of Israeli occupation of Golan Heights of Syria, which they took in the 1967 six-day war. But Anbar Sadat went ahead and did that. So this is an army-led deep state which does not have a single threat or a single enemy. An enemy that it hates so much, it detests so much that it will cut its nose to spite that enemy. So the Egyptian deep state, military deep state does not have that. And the second big difference is that unlike the Pakistani armed forces, Egyptian armed forces have no adherence to political Islam. So they are devout Muslims in their personal lives, but they don't believe in using Islamism or political Islam or a kind of jihad mindset to achieve any objectives. If anything, just as the Pakistani deep state has used Islam to perpetuate its power and to perpetuate its own policies and also to persuade the people of Pakistan to pay a huge price for those policies, in Egypt, the deep state has done exactly the opposite. Like the Pakistani deep state, Egyptian one also runs private businesses. They have a lot of private businesses and obviously when the big bosses are doing businesses, those businesses do well. So there are many similarities, but there are key differences also. This Egyptian power group rose in 1952, as we told you. That's when King Farouk was in power. He was supported by Western powers, particularly Britain. He was sent into an exile after a coup and Naguib took over, Mohammed Naguib, who was the senior most of the most significant of this free officers group. And then within a year, Nasser got rid of him. Nasser got rid of him. And as we told you earlier, since then, these military leaders have run Egypt. There was only one exception in the middle. That is Mohammed Morsi, who became the first civilian leader elected who had never been uh, in the armed forces. He lasted all of one year. After that, Sisi locked him up in jail where he remained until 2019 when he died in the same jail. So this is not a state which has much space for civilian elected leaders. That is the third big difference between the Egyptian military establishment or the deep state and the Pakistani one. The Pakistani one, they, they are quite okay keeping the pretense of an elected government while they control power from behind the scenes. In Egypt, it's all up front. Egyptian armed forces don't have to do any of this. In fact, Egyptian armed forces have even created a constitutional or statutory system whereby no other authority, no parliament, no judiciary, no nothing, nobody can exercise any oversight over them across most of the laws, across most of the laws. So they are institutionally a power unto themselves. Now this war against Muslim Brotherhood, that started early. 
It started in Nasser's times, 1954. He was addressing a meeting in Alexandria. And that's when somebody linked to Muslim Brotherhood tried to assassinate him. After that, he carried out a big crackdown, locked up a lot of people, and many of them remained locked for a very, very long time. Now, Nasser was an interesting guy, also quite brilliant, very charismatic, a modernizing leader. In fact, his the video of him speaking against, against hijab, etc., has gone viral a lot of the times in India as well. He he tamped down, he destroyed, or at that point, nearly destroyed Muslim Brotherhood. And, and they did not find any leeway under him. Nasser also built his popularity not on Islam, not even so much on Egyptian nationalism as on Pan-Arabism. That's how he set up an entity called United Arab Republic. That is, when he got Syria, persuaded Syria to merge with Egypt, they became one country. Of course, nationalism always wins against pan-nationalism. So Syria broke away. It seceded in 1961. So that didn't last very much. He also, he also joined hands with Nehru. Nehru, Tito and Nasser. They together were the trinity of the non-aligned movement. That's why I'm sometimes surprised that Nasser never came to India as the Republic Day chief guest, although, although Tito did that twice. Nasser never did that. We don't know why. The fact is that in Nasser's times, India and Egypt worked very closely together, even on some military projects. So I will share with you the link of a story under our past forward series that our defense editor Snehesh Alex Philip did, which talks about a fighter aircraft project. So because in the 1960s, India was trying to develop a supersonic fighter aircraft. India had hired a bunch of German engineers who had fled from Germany after, after Germany was defeated in the Second World War. So Professor Kurt Tank, who was a chief designer of one of his design bureaus, he was appointed in India to head our own fighter project. That was the Marut HF-24 project. That aircraft needed a powerful engine. It was built around a British engine, the Orpheus engine, which wasn't powerful enough. So Egyptians were working on an engine called Helvan 300. So India got involved with the Egyptians. It was a joint joint venture. So they were Indian pilots doing test flying. India was willing to give its very fine airframe and other technologies to the Egyptians. If Egyptians let India use that engine and, and if somehow the engines and the new airframe could marry. That, that project broke down in 1967 with, with Nasir's defeat in the Six-Day War. So that's a story you must read. Now, at this point, Egypt is interested in many of the Indian military items, including probably the Tejas aircraft. That is, if HAL can produce enough of those aircraft, advanced light helicopter, light combat helicopter. Egypt itself has an advanced military industry now, mainly, mainly in joint ventures with the Americans. Egypt, for example, makes the M1A1 Abrams tank. That is something the Ukrainians have been searching for so desperately. Now, it's not as if Egypt can just sell those to India or transfer those technologies to India. But I am also telling you where Egypt belongs ideologically and in terms of strategic alliances right now. And to that extent, there is harmony between where Egypt is inclined and where India is inclined at the moment. So the anti-Westernism of Nasser's times, he also nationalized the Suez Canal, which was then owned by the British and the French together. He nationalized it. That was, that was neutralized by Anbar Sadat, who made a switch to the western side.
Anwar Sadat won two elections unopposed, one by 90% votes, one by 99.9% votes, right? In 1976. And he under himself carried out what, what might be called a corrective revolution, which means he kept the armies, the deep states control over the Egyptian state structures. At the same time, he quote unquote, detoxified the state from the old leftist and pro-Soviet fixations and took it to the western side. Now, if you are on the other side, if you're on the side of the left, you'll say, all right, he didn't detoxify. He basically retoxified Egypt by making it pro-western. Nevertheless, that's what he did. He also released a lot of the people, a lot of the Muslim Brotherhood and political Islam activists who Nasser had jailed for a very long time, he released them and ultimately after he made peace with Israel, one of those people assassinated him in a military parade on October 6, 1981. We know that story well. A soldier of Islamic Jihad, an organization called Islamic Jihad killed him, 11 others were killed. There were lots of foreigners there. I think the Cuban ambassador was killed. Also a Bahraini general was killed in that massacre. He was then followed by Hosni Mubarak, who was also a soldier. A soldier but not a free officer, not from one of the free officers groups because, because free, free officers was a early 50s formulation, maybe a little bit earlier than Hosni Mubarak's time. And second thing, thing is Hosni Mubarak was a Fauji, was an armed forces officer, but not an army general, but an air force general or an air marshal. He once again cracked down on Muslim Brotherhood and that carried on until he ruled. He ruled for all of 30 years, longest lasting ruler in Egypt and he's the one who was thrown out after Tahrir Square or as a result of Tahrir Square, although the army did not allow him to be to be strung up on a pole and, assass and assassinated or killed or lynched because they, were, they do ultimately do look after their own and they did look after their own. And what happened afterwards, we've told you Mr. Morsi came and Mr. Morsi left, Mr. Morsi went to jail, he died in jail and since then, since 2014, Mr. Sisi is ruling. A lot of the neighbors of Egypt are grateful that he's kept Egypt stable. A lot of the world powers, in fact, most, most world powers are happy that he's kept Egypt stable. And certainly, it is the stability that he's brought in and also the fact that he has restored the status quo in Egypt of the Egyptian deep state being in control that India has also found the comfort level now to reach out to Egypt because under Narendra Modi, India has been reconstructing its relationship in the Middle Eastern countries. And that Egypt is a very important piece on that chessboard.